we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting at a table with Ann Miller, James Harkin and Andy Murray. And once again, we've gathered around with our favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here they are. Okay, fact number one, and that's you, James. Okay, my fact is that the most painful place to be stung by a bee is your nostril. Is it? It is. In, so a bee inside your nose. Yeah, the, just the inside of your nostril, apparently, it's the worst place to how be do stung. You, how do you know this? Well, I know this because there was a Cornell University student called Michael Smith who decided to let bees sting him on all different parts of his body and find out which was the most painful. When you say all, do you mean actually all? Well, the main ones. The define, main ones. Define main. <laughs> the, skin. Me, the main parts are my hands and my feet. Yeah, I wouldn't put nostril on my head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Obviously, I'd say inside your mouth's probably pretty bad. Yes. Ooh, or your ears. Your like things that are touching your ins. Did he do it on his penis? That's what we're all <laughs> dancing around. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> well, you might be dancing around your penis. <laughs> I would be if a bee had stung it. <laughs> uh, he did. Yes. Um, he did it on the number of different parts of his body and he gave them marks um, out of 10 uh, for how painful they were and the nostril was 9.0 the upper lip was 8.7 and the penis was the third worst place to be stung and it was 7.3 out of 10 wow he had one bee which he would hold beside his body in order to make it sting him uh, and oh, poor B. <laughs> Just put back in the box afterwards. Oh, thank God that's over. Then half an hour later, oh, here we go. Is it true that bees don't die after stinging you? Mammals have tougher skin. So if they sting a mammal, there's a higher chance of the sting being left behind and then the bee not surviving. However, if they sting other insects, which is what they normally sting, yeah. then they're fine and they can sting them repeatedly. Do you know what a bee does if it can't sting you if you're too small to be stung? If you're too small to be stung, well, you, yeah. wrestles, like, like, they're not you. a human, like an insect. <laughs> oh, like <laughs> someone an invading their nest. Yes, yeah. They, I know. What does it do? They bite. Do they? And their oh, bites yeah. have a chemical in that basically paralyzes their prey, so they can turf them out of their hives. And it might be able to be used in human medicine for anaesthetics. Actually, the theme tune to our podcast, Wasps by Emperor Yes, the song is all about how bees survive a wasp attack when they come into their nest, which is that they heat it up by vibrating inside. And they can sustain within their own body a certain amount of heat, which is higher than a wasp heat. So they literally cook the wasp inside the hive. That's awesome. We also should mention the least painful places, just in case oh, okay. you, a supervillain says, so I'm going to make this bee sting you choose. <laughs> um, well, sole of your shoe would be, yeah, <laughs> be amazing. I'll go for that. Um, uh, but on the body, the skull, tip of the middle toe, apparently, and upper arm. All very low rated, 2.3. I read about this horrible thing in New Zealand where they're selling bee venom face masks. So the oh. idea is that it works like a natural Botox. And oh. it, um, so they need about 20 hives to harvest one gram of this venom. And they claim it makes your skin feel firmer. It makes it feel like you've had a facelift. But dermatologists say there's no benefits. And actually, it can cause you quite severe medical problems. Um, bees <coughs> can fly higher than Mount Everest. We did the thing about landing a helicopter on Mount Everest, oh, which is incredibly did. difficult and dangerous because the air is so thin up there that even with the speed a helicopter's rotor blades go at, it's almost impossible to do. But someone has done it. Someone has they? done it, yeah. Yeah. 
But it wasn't a bee, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> well, Edmund Hillary, he was a beekeeper. Oh, yeah, and yeah. actually, it was his beekeeping job that funded his trip to get to oh, Mount really? Everest. Yeah, so. yeah, he put it on his passport when they asked what his job yeah. was. He said he was a beekeeper. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Uh, other famous beekeepers, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Yes, he retired to become a beekeeper. He retired to become a beekeeper. Yeah. Yep. Aristotle as well was a beekeeper. Hmm. And he made this really odd claim that they survived for seven years, when in fact they survived for seven weeks. So either he thought, well, they're still wow. here, and just didn't recognize that he had newborn bees. Or he was a dog. Oh my God, yeah. Wow. Aristotle. We've just blown this thing wide open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw another thing in the news, in the news a few weeks ago, that uh, Norfolk police are warning people to beware of bee rustlers. They've been turning up in the night and stealing hives full of thousands of bees. Oh, really? Sounds quite a high-risk theft. Yeah. Wow. Germany has fantastic bee laws, and roughly broken down, they're this. If bees break away from a hive, they are only still your bees if you're in pursuit. So as long as you're in pursuit, they are your bees. Uh, so there is nowhere off limits to you. If you have to run into the houses of parliament there, you can, because you're in your pursuit of your there. bees. Yeah. <laughs> you're extrapolating <laughs> from this law. Yeah. If they then land in the hive of someone else's farm, yeah. and it's an empty hive, then you can break that hive down, collect your, your bees, bees, and bring it back and just replace the hive. If it lands in a hive that's full of bees, then the other owner, he's just, he's just acquired some Fair. new bees. Mm. Now, the best law of the whole thing is that if you're in pursuit of your bees, there's a law that states that if you see someone else in pursuit <laughs> of their bees and your two bee colonies collide, collide and turn into one swarm, you are now the co-owner of these bees. <laughs> you're in business with the guy pursuit. Yeah, if he drops out of pursuit, then it's your uh, bees. You're in business, more like. Um, can I quickly tell you about bee bids? Please do. Oh, yeah. This is an article by a beekeeper on beeinformed.org. Nice. But the article reads, Having about 10,000 bees on your face is one of the best ways to demonstrate how calm and fun bees can be. <laughs> and so the idea is that... So step one, prepare the bees. Step two, prepare the person. Step three, add bees. Step four, remove bees. <laughs> it goes into more detail on how you do all of these things. So basically you attach them to your chin. And you have to put Vaseline on your eyes and you have to put cotton in your ears and How up your How do you nose. attach them to your chin? Is it like on each hair on your chin or something? You put a queen bee just below your chin and the bees swarm to her. Well, how, do you, well, how do you get her? You spray the, the bees with sugar syrup and then an assistant will tie the queen around your head so the queen is under your chin. And then you just hold a tray on your belly and the assistant dumps all the bees into the tray and they just gather to the queen. Okay. And you've got a massive beard made of bees. However, he does point out He's never done this without being stung at least once or twice. <laughs> I want to know what would happen if you were in Germany and you were chasing your bees and they all gathered on some guy's face. <laughs> you get to own him. <laughs> there is a myth about bees, according to the internet. This is a common misconception amongst some people, mm. um, that bees hate bad language and will sting those who swear in their presence. I heard that if you kill, a, I think it works with bees and wasps, if you kill them, you need to get out of there quick because if you kill them, they release a chemical to warn their hive mates that there's danger. They can and do so that they even if they're still alive. Um, there was something in the news this week that they found that gorillas communicate by BO. Um, you, mean, you mean gorilla gorillas, not gorilla warriors? <laughs> Fidel Castro just raised an arm. <laughs> well, uh, Yasser Arafat used to just fart whenever he wanted to because that was his kind of thing. It was his intimidation tactic. To clear the room? Just to, it was just his thing. He, would, he got so much. He just got so much saying, joy. Can out. we have the room to ourselves, please? Yeah. He does make your presence felt. <laughs> um, 
I was reading that mm-hmm. urban bees, uh, mm-hmm. they've completely evolved. So um, there was a study done in Toronto that showed that three out of eight alfalfa leafcutter bees have nests that are made up of shredded plastic bags. Apparently, they use us as sort of salt licks, like yeah. us humans. Um, lots of insects um, drink animals' tears to yeah. get. We, that we did on QI a few years ago that there was a company developing bee bomb detectors. Oh, yeah. You train bees to stick out their tongue at the, uh, the smell of explosives and things like that. Wow. You know how you use smoke to um, pacify bees? Do you know how that works? Uh, no. It doesn't make them drowsy, as you might think, in the normal way. They think they're in trouble, and so they eat up all of the honey. And because they eat up so much, they're so full, they can't really do anything, and they're just waddling around, and they're not attacking people. I think that's how this, the smoke stuff works. That's great. It's good, I, that, isn't it? I really hoped it would be by getting them addicted to the smoke <laughs> and so that they just want another cigarette. Well, they have. there is a study where they try to get um, some bees addicted mm. to narcotics to see how it affected bees. What could bees. possibly go wrong? Yeah. So they got some bees hooked to cocaine, and according to the results, uh, the cocaine turned good bees, prod- productive members of the hive, <laughs> uh, into untrustworthy bees. <laughs> that um, is disgraceful anthropomorphism. Yeah. No, how think, does an untrustworthy bee behave then? I think, if I remember this study correctly... Bees will do a little dance to say how much um, honey they have. Yeah, yeah, called the waggle dance. And the ones who had taken cocaine would do the we've got lots of honey dance when actually they should have done the we didn't really find much honey, we mostly found cocaine dance. That's amazing. We found excited. so much. We found more than anyone else has ever found. You've got to come. You've got to come and look. What about drunk bees? Do you know about them? No. no. So you it, sit in a corner and get a bit sad. Yeah, it is a bit like that. They, um, they have more flying accidents than sober <laughs> ones. Uh, and they can sometimes forget how to get back to the hive and die as a result. And if they do make it back to the hive, then they can be rounded on by other bees who punish them by chewing off their legs. So they're legless. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to fact B, or fact number two. Just a a callback there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay, this is my fact. And this fact is that Walt Disney used to eat breakfast like all of us, but his favorite breakfast was fresh donuts dunked in scotch. Uh, the that's national dish of Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those people who, when you look into him, just comes up with... There's so many extraordinary little facts about him that you would never have known. And I'm surprised that we do know. I'm surprised that we do know that he dunked his donuts in uh, scotch. I'm surprised that we know that he used to keep his testicles <laughs> on ice. Because he <laughs> wait, 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 no, wait, wait, wait. We sure don't know that. scotch that was on ice. <laughs> it was his testicles. He used to put his balls on ice because he had a low sperm count and he thought that would help. This is all the cryonics rumors started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he, the rest of him isn't frozen. It's, it's just, just his, his testicles. Just his balls. But when we regenerate him, there's <laughs> an enormous pair of balls. There's a guy called Josh Schumacher in America and he's patented um, a thing called snowballs. And these are pants that come with a special integrated pocket that cools a man's nether regions in an effort to boost his sperm count. Ah. <laughs> All awkward Christmases sorted. Yeah. For the man who has everything. <laughs> Colder testicles. <laughs> um, a scare story went around a few years ago that um, Iron Brew lowered your sperm count. Really? Which basically oh, really? would staff the Scottish wow. reproduction rates. So I think it turned out not to be true. Um, Chinese eunuchs. Um, would mm. keep their testicles in a jar in the hope that they would arrive complete in the next world after oh, they wow. died. I just moved house and I, uh, you know, I'm getting rid of a lot of my old stuff. I can imagine finding your testicles in a drawer or something and thinking, I will hang on to these. Yeah, everyone's got one of those drawers at home, haven't they? With just <laughs> yeah. odds and ends, like old batteries, jars of testicles. What happens to foreskins? What do after you mean? circumcision. 
some of them can be used in cosmetics. Uh, yeah. They're not really this supposed to the bee face mask. I know. <laughs> they're used the as artificial eyelashes. They just <laughs> they're, no, they're not, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. um, no, um, there was a bit of a a bit of a thing a couple of years ago that some uh, hospitals had been taking the uh, removed foreskins from children and they'd been using them um, to make cosmetics without the patient's consent. I did work experience in the hospital when I was younger and I was in an operating theatre and they had a sign on the wall about different kinds of bins and after I read it I was I think it was the orange bin was for human body parts. Oh. I never saw one but I always was wary of parts. That's like recycling gone mad isn't it? <laughs> <I> <laughs> it's like you're going to put it in your green bin or your brown bin <laughs> or your orange Paper. <laughs> uh, Walt Disney. What do we have about him? Something I didn't know about Walt was that he was the voice of Mickey. There are lots of Mickey Mouses, and one of the actors who played Mickey Mouse married the lady who played Minnie Mouse, which is very nice. Oh, that's yeah, good. That is wedding. good. Um, oh. Cows in Mickey Mouse. There was a complaint that the udders were too big um, when it first came out. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, they said pictures in the future will have small or invisible udders, quite unlike the gargantuan organ whose antics of late have shocked some and convulsed others. I get a lot of those letters too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found that yesterday. This is not really related, but from um, the Mickey and Minnie thing. Do you know Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas yeah. um, was someone in Peanuts? What? I've forgotten the name of the character in Peanuts, the one with blonde curly hair. Um, her voice was done in the 80s by Fergie. Oh. It was the first thing she ever did when she was like nine years old. Okay, I've just Googled it. Um, she played Sally. That's right. That's a really good fact. Yeah. Just one other related fact to people behind the characters. Ariel and Belle, so Ariel from The Little Mermaid and Belle from Beauty and the Beast, they were both based on a real-life model whose name was Cherie Stoner, and they used all of her mannerisms. So there's very famously, Ariel does this thing where she kind of blows her hair in frustration. Yeah. She goes, and her hair blows. That was just um, Cherie just improvising and in the Cherie moment. Cherie also had the tail of a fish. She did. So, I mean, it was very <laughs> convenient. But she wasn't just a model because then she became a part of the family and she was the writer and producer for the Animaniacs and Casper, the Friendly Ghost. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She was like a That's proper... Cool. Um, That's pretty good. That reminds me of a fact about the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it was designed by Bertoldi. And I think he based the body of the Statue of Liberty on his mistress and the face on his mother. Oh, that's Which is a little a bit hybrid. Freudian, isn't it? But that's like uh, just his mother would be very statuesque, if so. Maybe she just wore a big tiara all the time. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Justin Pollard, one of the other QI elves, um, in his book Secret Britain, he talks about how the Rolls Royce, the Spirit statue, of the Spirit of Ecstasy, is based on the mistress of Mr. Royce, yeah. was it? Yeah, well, one of them, uh, it was their mistress who died in a boating accident, and it was his tribute to her to Get keep her, her alive forever. Yeah, so that's, oh. that's his mistress on the front of the car. Um, let's talk about breakfast. There was a study done saying that if you eat cake for breakfast, it's really good if you're on a diet. <laughs> and they got a load of overweight people. And they gave them cake for breakfast. That was the only difference in any of their lifestyle. And they all lost weight. And the idea is that if you eat the sugary stuff in the morning, you're less likely to snack on it during the day. Wow. Um, so a bowl of Special K and a bowl of Frosties have only a one calorie difference. And it's the Special K that are more calorific. Whoa. So you're better off eating Frosties. <laughs> well, really? Yeah. The iron that you get added to cereals if you have a good enough magnet, you can get the iron filings out of the cereal. There's a way of doing that. What? There's videos on YouTube of how to do it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Disney World <laughs> yes. is the second largest purchaser of explosives in the US. 
fireworks or have they taken exactly. the terrorism? No, no, it's fireworks. But Ooh. after the military is number one. Or they're planning something really big. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a fact that I almost used for the podcast this week. Uh, oh, yeah. I read it on a website called collectorsweekly.com and they said that before they had fireworks, what they would do is they would get two anvils, turn one of them upside down, put it on top of the other one, put explosives in between them, set fire to the explosives so that the anvil would fly into the sky. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I know, and it caused all sorts of problems, people getting injured and what have you. But so, that's, hang on, that's is the cartoon trope of someone being killed by a massive anvil falling on them something that was a, a real risk? Yeah. The weather's going to be heavy anvils today Stay with indoors. scattered hammers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time now to move on to fact number three, and that is you, Anne. Yes, my fact is that the French used to call arsenic poudre de succession, or inheritance powder, because it was used in so many murders. That was obviously not sort of on the tin. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, at the pharmacy, I would say, inheritance powder. No, it was actually, um, arsenic was used quite a lot at this point because um, it was used to kill kill rats, and they actually also used arsenic to colour their wallpaper green. So there were quite a lot of cases where people would go have this sort of symptoms, and when they went to the seaside, it would clear up because they were away from their wallpaper and this sort of lingering Uh arsenicness was there. Wasn't Napoleon supposedly poisoned by, I mean, that that was the myth, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a myth. People are pretty sure these days that he died of uh, stomach cancer. Yeah. Not, not of wallpaper. Uh, <laughs> weird to fill in on the official form. Cause of death, wallpaper. Wallpaper. That was almost... Uh, anvil, 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 wallpaper. <laughs> it's like that, either that wallpaper goes or I will. Yeah. It was that, he said that. Oscar Wilde. Uh, uh, it turns out he didn't say that. He oh, said something know. like it, but he said it days before he died. Yeah. And I don't think he kind of went, oh, that was a pretty good end line. I'm just going to leave it there. Just, he lived on for another 30 years in complete silence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but this arsenic fact, so I got it from um, Lucy Worsley's book about um, murders, which is really interesting. It's all about how the British King Duya is sort of obsessed about reading about murders. The arsenic itself, it was problematic because it didn't ha- doesn't have a smell and the symptoms are very similar to um, cholera. And you couldn't trace it at all until some um, chemist developed the Marsh test, which is how you could separate arsenic and prove someone had it. Before that, there was no way of proving that you had taken arsenic. Oh. So but it was. Is it not supposed to smell of garlic when you heat it up or something? Yes, I read that as well. When you heat it, it's... Uh, I don't maybe, know if maybe, that's maybe, true. They, maybe they weren't cooking it. Yeah, um, or maybe they were putting it in garlic bread. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best tests for the presence of arsenic was developed by Samuel Hahnemann who is the guy who invented homeopathy. So that was one of his more successful... Could his test detect, like, one part in ten billion? <laughs> well, apparently, uh, you do need a small amount, though, to live. They've tested... Arsenic, yeah, you well, have it in your so, body. Yeah, so they've tested on chickens and rats. They've given them a diet, normal diet, but only without arsenic, and they grow up stunted. So they don't know whether it's essential for humans, because I don't think they've done that kind of experiment. But well, isn't, uh, it, isn't it in lipstick as well? Uh, in some things, yeah. yeah. There's some yeah. traces in of the it. USA, I, I think. I think it's not allowed in any British cosmetics. In the US, you're allowed up to three parts per million um, of arsenic in lipstick. Wow. Yeah. It's, like, but, it's like really grim stuff about food, isn't it? You're allowed like one hair per however many grams and one dead fly. One it's rodent different. hair per jar and three yeah. up to three maggots. One, one testicle. <laughs> one, one testicle as long as it's Walt Disney's. In yeah. your frozen peas. <laughs> <laughs> but they used to think it was good for us, didn't they? Because it was prescribed for a lot of medication. Yeah. Diabetes, tuberculosis, malaria. Here, Kyle's arsenic. Yeah. Pretty much everything. It was, it was a pick-me-up. The cure-all. Yeah, there was a medicine called Dr. Fowler's Solution, um, which was used <laughs> to treat fevers. And it's just a solution of <laughs> potassium arsenite watered down with lavender water. And you would take a few drops with a glass of wine. Charles Dickens had it. 
Ibsu's Acurel, Tonic, Aphrodisiac, Treat Snake Bites, Malaria, Epilepsy, Morning Sickness, Diarrhea, you name it. There was also Dr. Rose's <laughs> Arsenic Complexion Wafers. <laughs> they were advertised as being simply magical for the complexion. Um, I've got another fact from Lucy Worsley's book, which I really love, which is uh, Madame Tussauds' Chamber of Horrors, which, re- which they originally just called the other chamber, um, was sort of full with models of murderers, and you can go and look at them. And during the First World War, trainee soldiers used to um, be set an initiation test to go and hide in the chamber and spend the whole night there. And it became such a pest that, the, that Madame Tussauds had to officially ask the war office to stop them doing this. Oh, wow. They were sneaking in. Mm. Uh, I have a fact that you'll like, and about arsenic, and that is that hedgehogs are immune to arsenic poisoning. Oh, hedgehogs. Are they? Yeah. I like a good hedgehog fact. You can build up a resistance <laughs> to arsenic if you try your hardest. Can which you? Which is good news. Yeah, there was some peasants in the Styrian Alps it, several centuries ago who ate massive chunks of arsenic twice a week and they claimed it improved the complexion so not far off the oh, complexion really? wafers um, and scientists said no that's ridiculous arsenic's very poisonous and they're like well how come our skin is so good <laughs> how come I'm going after a day in the fields <laughs> uh, but then there was a meeting in 1875 of the Association of German Scientists at which a peasant ate twice the fatal dose of arsenic trioxide before a big audience and they tested him afterwards, and they tested his urine, which is how you tell Wow, them. before a big audience, it's like people were easily entertained in those days, weren't they? <laughs> well, they didn't have Transformers, did they? <laughs> Come and watch a man, he might die. Yeah, I'd watch that, like a, like a shot. Yeah, I think it's like to... an early version of Man versus Food. Man yeah. versus Poison. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great Today, series. Man won, but next time... Yeah. <laughs> poison, 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 anvil. <laughs> anvil, anvil. <laughs> Uh, if you are poisoned with nitric acid, the way to tell is your snot starts to foam. Wow. Yeah, I read that's cool. the, um, Agatha Christie's novels. So Agatha Christie uh, used to work as a worked as a nurse and a pharmacy dispenser during the war, where she got a lot of her knowledge about poisons. Over half of her character deaths were from poison. And there was one case where she, I won't say the book in case it's a spoiler, but in one novel she is thallium poisoning and she detailed the symptoms so thoroughly, like hair loss and things that go wrong, that they were then used by people to diagnose real life cases of thallium poisoning and she saved at least two lives. Wow, Wow. what a great fact. That's awesome. Mm. Uh, Dogs can be poisoned by eating the feces of drug users. Just a fact. It serves them right. (laughs) I read read in the uh, New York Times that 2008 was the first time in 30 years that more more people died from poisoning than from car crashes. Oh. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I see. I found a fact online which I really like, which is that Jack Bauer has killed more people than sharks. How many sharks has he killed? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the aquatic series is coming up next, so we'll see. Um, Other things that are poisonous, daffodils. All parts of a daffodil plant are poisonous to I, varying effects. If we, if I ate a daffodil, I'd die. If you had too many of you them, yeah, be you can. Even if you're trapped in a small space with a daffodil, it'll give you headaches. If you're stuck in a lift and the only other passenger is a daffodil, yeah. <laughs> I would like to think that after the guy eating arsenic, it was like, and for our next act, it's a man in a box with a daffodil. <laughs> David Blaine will be with this daffodil in a cupboard for ninety days. <laughs> Does that mean if you're going to hospital and you're bringing? Fl- flowers to someone don't bring you're daffodils you're not meant yeah. to have flowers at night they yeah. put them out of the wards do they why they give off pollen or there's some the well air. they'll take oxygen out of the air and release people in hospitals dioxide. need their no, oxygen they, well, yeah but not they not, do they take all flowers out of wards at night no I, I'm not saying they don't take flowers out of wards I'm just saying I think the amount of oxygen a daffodil can deal with in a night is not going to asphyxiate <laughs> anybody very ostentatious presence. Andy you think you're so hard you can <laughs> sit in a room with a daffodil he's not afraid he'll do I'll it do I've it. seen him get, do it get me one now get me one right now we're going to put Andy in a room with a daffodil for the next week and if he's not on next week's podcast you know what's happened (laughs) yeah
right, uh, it's time for our final fact of the episode, and that, of course, is Andrew Hunter Murray. My fact this week is that shouting at drivers improves their driving. That doesn't really work in my experience. Yeah, this is under certain circumstances, okay. I should clarify. If you're, if you're listening to this in the car, don't bellow at the driver. Um, <laughs> this was uh, a study in Kenya. They have a lot of buses. Uh, they're called uh, matatus. And the initiative was basically to put stickers in buses with appalling images of accidents and and things like that uh, because they have so many traffic accidents and so many deaths. Right. And the idea was to get passengers on the buses to stand up and speak up against these reckless drivers who cause a lot of accidents. And they said, look, if the driver's driving badly, look at all these horrible accident photos, like on a packet of cigarettes, Mm. and speak up. And everyone just started shouting at the drivers on these randomly... Slow down! Yeah. You maniac. And they found that Matatus with these stickers are about half as likely to get into accidents. But um, There is, a, yeah, there's an effect. I can't remember what it's called. There was um, a factory and they wanted to see uh, if they could improve the output. And they did loads of different things to these people. Everything they tried, the output would go up. No matter what they tried, they would make the lights a bit brighter, it would work. They would make the lights darker, it would work. They would try everything, it would always work. And just by the fact that you're being tested or you're being studied, it makes people try harder because they know someone's watching. But I do think this did... Yeah, no, it's it's a really good fact. Um, So I have a news article about shouting, just to slip in. Um, A dog walker sparked a major search and rescue operation by calling out for her pet named Yelp. And basically, people had heard her shouting, Yelp, Yelp, and thought she was shouting, help, help. And there was a massive operation to try and find this woman who's calling for help. (laughs) Well, that's good. People were kind. There was um, like an open shaft nearby, and people thought that that their voice was coming from the shaft. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Spike Milligan once put a a lost dog ad in the uh, newspaper, and the ad just read, Here, boy. That's great. Was there one of um, the QI um, panelists who said that they had a dog called Mingus? Oh, it's Ross Noble. It's his granddad's dog, I think. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, so his dog was named Mingus. I can't do the accent, but Ross said, and the problem with this dog was that he had the same accent as Ross. So he goes to the park and be shouting, Mingus, Mingus. And all the local girls are like, who are you calling? (laughs) I um, read earlier that there was an ancient Greek belief that basil would grow better if you shouted curses at it while you were planting it. (laughs) I haven't properly checked this out, but I like the sound of it. Maybe it's because the bees would come and pollinate it. Maybe they would come to the swearing. Ancient secret that we've unearthed. The the effect where you know when you're at a party or something and everyone's talking loud, so you talk a bit louder, and then eventually everyone's talking really loud. That is a scientifically observed effect called the Lombard effect. Oh yeah, and it doesn't just happen in people; it happens in animals too. Zebra finches, quails, hummingbirds, marmosets, beluga whales, orcas, wow. manatees. That sounds like a great party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've they've discovered that there's a certain type of bird that sings louder now in the city. Just right. back to urban animals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's just the, the city noises, and I can't remember what it's called. But I think, it's, I'm but pretty sure I... nightingales sing louder in the cities, but yeah. I, don't think it's, mm. I don't think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I want no. to know if there's a, a word for that effect when you say something awkward because it's loud, and as soon as you say it, the music cuts out, and everyone hears you <laughs> shout. Mm. We yeah. should call it the Ann Miller effect. Uh, maybe not. That's not a good one. <laughs> I want something good named after me. Okay, who's not here? We should call it the Anna Chizinski effect. <laughs> Um, I like, just with this original fact of uh, the idea of being shouted at when you're Mm. driving a bus, I read this great story years ago, uh, which this has reminded me of. There was a bridge in China which uh, famously people would jump off and and try and commit suicide, but if, if the police got there in time, they would block off the bridge and they would have uh, try to negotiate the guy off 
the bridge. Mm. And uh, this one time, um, they were stuck for like two hours while this this guy was on the edge of the bridge threatening to kill himself. And um, this retired soldier was just so sick of the police not being able to negotiate with this guy. He just decided, I'm going to do something about this. He got out of his car. He went past the police. They couldn't stop him. And he went up to the guy and he put his hand out to shake his hand. They shook hands and then he pushed him off the bridge. What? (laughs) Yeah, because he was like, you're you selfish dick. You're holding up the traffic. You're holding up the traffic. Now, fortunately, when he plunged, he landed on a partially inflated big Ooh. bouncy castle bouncy castle that they make you know they make ha- there was a children's party going on below on well you know you know when you're committing That's suicide awful. they try to lure you down yeah yeah That's they always for man. a lot of if, if, if you get there in time for a lot of suicide people oh. like if there's a fire and they'll have a blanket they're like That's take off right. your shoes before you plummet <laughs> i have some facts about um bad drivers okay i spent some of this afternoon doing a theory test online oh yeah how'd you get I, on i passed did you can yeah you, can yeah, you, you drive i can yeah ah, yeah I, I got the minimum pass mark <laughs> but I just love these questions. So here's one. It's a multiple choice. I'll just read out the options. As you approach a pelican crossing, the lights change to green. Elderly people are halfway across. <laughs> you should right. wait because they will take longer to cross. Yeah, that yeah. sounds reasonable. Wave to them to cross as quickly as they can. <laughs> or rev your engine to make them hurry. <laughs> I remember, I remember doing these myself, and they're always were terrible things like red revenge, and I was just like, wait and proceed when safe. Yeah. I know. You, there's another one where, you know, you're at a lunch occasion, and you, you'll have to drive in the evening. Should you drink nothing, <laughs> have a hot meal with your alcohol? <laughs> there was an internet news story a few years ago, and I'm quite sure it's not true, uh, but it was supposedly the Chinese theory test. And oh, yeah. some of the questions were so ridiculous. One of them was like, you knock someone over. Do you, A, go over, get their intestines and push it back into their body? <laughs> stuff like that. Or remember. B, ring for help and pull to the side. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That was it. There's one, well, there's one that's mad, which is an accident casualty has an injured arm. They can move freely, but it's bleeding. Why should you get them to keep it in a raised position? Is it A, that will help to reduce the bleeding? B, because it will ease the pain? C, it will help them to be seen more easily. <laughs> or D, to stop them touching other people. <laughs> With their blood. That's yeah. a real British theory test question. Here's a, here's a thing about driving. You can drive fast enough um, for speed cameras not to get you. If you're driving fast wow. enough on a road. Wow. How fast do you have to be going? Only there. 119 million miles per hour. <laughs> Top gear, okay. over to you. <laughs> Weren't they invented, the speed cameras themselves, to encourage speeding initially? Was um, it, wasn't it was it a t- racing driver who invented them yeah, to assess so. how he was doing on the cor- curves and corners. Yeah. Okay. I have a fact about car insurance. Okay. The very first policy was written by Lloyd's uh, in 1904, and it had never been done before, and so there were no guidelines. They were completely started from scratch. And so all the documents referred to it as a ship navigating on land. Nice. <laughs> nice. like it. Um, I have a fact about that guy, Gatso. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. He got... He died in 1998. He was caught out by his own cameras all the time. And he himself said, I am often caught by my own speed cameras and find hefty fines on my doormat. Even I can't escape my own invention because I love speeding. <laughs> he said all of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, uh, just with the, uh, the shouting thing, uh, shouting obviously sometimes can just really make you feel good as well. But um, there was a study that was done, and this did win an Ig Nobel. We've mentioned Ig Nobel. One of our previous guests was uh, Mark Abrams, who runs the whole thing. Uh, an award was given to Richard Stevens and some others at Keele University who confirmed that swearing relieves pain. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Lalochesia. Yeah. 
6% of drivers will deliberately swerve to kill animals they see on the road. What? 6%? Well, that's pretty low. 94% that's not as... will swerve to save them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, and uh... the way that they worked that out is there was a study done and they got like plastic animals, like a little plastic snake or a plastic, plastic scorpion or something, and they would put it on the side of the road where people weren't driving and they would count how many of them swerved. Oh, well, you didn't say it was a snake or a scorpion. I thought you were imagining a, an elk or a puppy or a <laughs> penguin. I, yeah. with my hedgehog facts, I remember reading about a man and he would drive around and if he found roadkill hedgehogs he would take them make a clay cast of them then put them back on the road as a permanent marker so people would notice how many deaths there'd be wow there's ah, someone like else that. who drives around cooking roadkill and eating it like maybe yeah. they're, with, maybe they're he's, partners he's tried loads of stuff yeah he keeps eating this concrete hardened <laughs> <laughs> teeth I wonder just thinking about that someone putting a plastic snake on the side of the road I wonder how many times a day just even the four of us are being secretly tested by scientists yeah. Yeah. like there's just so many of these well, experiments going around what about that Facebook around. thing the other day oh, what was that, that? Was strange see when you log on to Facebook you don't see everything you see a selection that Facebook chooses, chooses to show you oh. and they started skewing it so you'd see like sort of pessimistic updates from your more emo friends and then they'd watch you to see if you then posted a more sad update if they could affect your mood by what they showed you. Mm. Wow. It's a fairly uncontroversial finding, I think, that if you see a load of <laughs> miserable statuses, you'll feel a bit glum. Yeah, Unless you hate all your friends, which I do. So <laughs> You've got the schadenfreude. Yeah, I was delighted. I posted a lot of cheery statuses. Great to see Neville's lost his job. <laughs> At Neville. <laughs> so, um, it is controversial, though, because um, they're experimenting on people who haven't given their permission, and that's yeah, yeah, a big no-no. Yeah. I'm, no I'm not saying it's not. Yeah, but presumably rude. snakes on a road isn't well the rubber snake can't give informed <laughs> consent for two reasons <laughs> <laughs> for many many reasons oh sorry the driver <laughs> <laughs> um, okay uh, we should wrap up uh, has anyone got any last minute facts I have facts? one last one yeah which go for is it actually from our first fact book uh, 127 QI facts which is that Schimpfloss is a German 24 hour hotline which allows customers to release pent aggression by swearing at the telephone operators <laughs> so if you're feeling stressed give them a call that's, that's what they're great. there for do you have the number by any chance I don't but hopefully we can put it on our website and yeah, we can send we'll put it on our link. website 1-800 <laughs> 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 Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. And if you want to talk to any of us about the things that we said on this episode, you can reach us all on our Twitter handles. Uh, I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At Eggshaped. And at Miller underscore M. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. I will be back again next week, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Hi, everybody. Um, we've... Uh, recorded that podcast actually a couple of days ago and since then Andy and Dan have gone to the Edinburgh Festival so if you find yourself in the Edinburgh area you might want to go and watch their shows they have two each uh, Andy is doing two improv shows one is called Ostentatious and the other is called Folly Adder and Dan is doing his first one hour comedy show called Cock Blocks from Outer Space and he will also be producing Museum of Curiosity which is the QI radio show and they'll be doing a live show uh, in Edinburgh as well. Um, so if you're a fan of their voices, why not go along? Yeah.